Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread, Season 3, Episode 6. Thread is a podcast for people in the ministry, whether it's a formal kind of ministry or you're just a person who really, really wants your life to make a difference in the lives of other people. We go verse by verse through New Testament uh, passages. We do whole books at a time, and we look at the example of Jesus and his early followers to understand how they had so much power in the lives of others so we can do the same and reach our generation. In season three, we are going through the book of 2 Corinthians, and it is a hugely important book because it is the book about the ministry. And in this book, Paul goes into great depth to uh, give us his theology of ministry and to help us understand ministry from his point of view. And he's got so much to say to the modern church And let's just dive right into that today. Today we're going to talk about, um, we're in chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. There's actually two verses we haven't mentioned, and that is 12 and 13, but I'm just going to skip over those because they're relational. It's about the passage we just studied. Right now we're going to pick it up from verse 14, and we're talking about... Um, the impact of certain people's lives. And that, it continues to be an important theme. You know, what is it that gives the life of certain people a tremendous impact? For example, um, if, you know, if you could just stop your mind for a minute and think about those people who, let's say you're in a room with some friends and you guys are watching TV and you're talking and you're just doing your normal life. And then this person entered the room. And I don't mean you're in trouble because this person is there. I mean this is a, a person with gravity, you know, the gravitas. This is a person who who has matter. They matter. Their life just is something powerful. And when they walk in the room, you feel their presence. And if they came in, you would immediately turn off your TV. You would stop your talking uh, because you would want to focus on them and also because of what they represent and who they are. You know, in, in my life, I have many such people, and one of them is my Jamaican mama, uh, Mavis Reed. And she is a country woman, but she is a praying woman. And her life just, it speaks to me about prayer. She's been fasting every Wednesday for probably 45 years. And there's just so much authority in her about prayer. She's not like a, you know, some praying people are like crazy people. And some of them are, they get so into mystical and they start, they start doing weird things, you know, and then they kind of want to dominate. Anyway, going off on intercessors groups. Some of them are amazing and I so am grateful for them. And others of them are just, honestly, they just seem to me strange. She's not that. She is um, rock solid. She just understands the centrality of prayer in the life of a Christian and how seriously you should take your time with God, not just casual talking to, you know, Papa God, but of getting down on your knees in the throne and like digging down with God into big matters, you know, the. It's almost like the spinning of the planets. She gets, 
she can lock in there with the Lord and he invites her. She's one of his inner counselors. And, and she wouldn't say that, but I would say it because I've seen her life and I've seen what her life does to other people and what she's done to me. So, you know, there's a presence that Sister Reed has. And if she enters the room, it matters that she's there. So Paul's talking about that. Um, the effect of a true minister on the lives of other people. And this this is a book, as we said, it's a book about the ministry and the ministry in many different forms. And thank God today there's, you know, you can be in the ministry and not have to be necessarily clergy. I have had a whole life. I've had two thirds of a ministry as a clergyman and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And I would not say that it's a bad life and you shouldn't want to, you know, do church work. I loved my life as a pastor my life in the, you know, the quote, full-time ministry in that way. Um, it was extremely fulfilling to me and to Sherry. It was not a burden to my children. You know, kids can complain about anything. So, um, you know, even life in the White House is going to be full of burdens to a child. But what a privilege to be in the White House, too. And ministry is kind of like that. It, you know, there's a little bit of celebrity, especially if your church grows big. There's some stuff that kids deal with, but by and large, I would say it's a very healthy environment. If you're a healthy person, then you will build uh, healthy spiritual communities and your kids will be blessed by their participation in in your very um, intentional spiritual community. They'll become participants of it and their lives will be helped. So I've done that kind of ministry. And then there's ministry, you know, there's... There's medical ministry, there's campus ministry, but in all of these ministries, they're not just like nice people doing nice work. As the Bible looks at ministry, ministers are like, they're powerful. When they enter a room, when they enter a new relationship, when they enter a city, when they enter into a family's home, Jesus said there's this thing that goes with you. He called it your peace. When you walk in, your peace goes with you and you have the power, you have the complete autonomy to leave your peace. You know, ah, that's amazing power. We don't talk about that much. You know, it sounds mystical, but there's a lot of mystical things in the way of Jesus. You know, he's God. So you kind of expect it. Uh, that you, that we are so authorized by him that we don't just say, God bless you, but that even us being in their home is blessing, and it makes good things happen to those people. It brings something positive. Just physically for us to be around them should be good for them. And so that's actually what Paul's thinking about. In this passage, he gets to pondering about the big power of life change that a minister has. And he uses a military illustration. Uh, let me just read you verse 14. He said, thanks be to God who always brings us, leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage. For we are to God, the fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of Christ among those being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, we are the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? 
For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as of from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. So that's our passage. Okay, so Paul is using a military illustration, and let me take that illustration and modernize it. Let's say that you are, you're, from a, you're from a people group, you're from a country, and outsiders, terrorists, lay in wait. They think, they plot, they think of how to kill you, how to bring death on unsuspecting people in your, in your community, and they hatch their plan, and they do it. They bring carnage and death, and, and then there's a call to arms you know, among your people. And it's like, respond, respond. And so people respond. And they join together and they pursue these people. And there is a battle against them. And some of your your folks die. And many of them are wounded. And at great cost, they finally win a victory. And they arrest the terrorists. And they bring them now back into the city. And there is a procession. And as they come in, the front of the, and here's where we get into the old Roman analogy that Paul's using. Um, In the front of this procession, there are sort of priestly people, and they have bowls of incense hanging on chains. And this incense is special. It's spicy. It's sweet. uh, And it makes huge clouds. And so these priests are waving this incense right and left. And, you know, I've been around this kind of uh, in Orthodox churches. They still do this. And I have to say, when it happens, I'm never looking at the priest. My eyes go to that bowl of incense, and I'm watching the way the smoke comes out. And it's a very sensory experience because, you know, it's sandalwood, and it's, it's I don't know, it's all these spices, and it just fills the air. And so you've got these these priests going through, and they're making this massive cloud. They're moving through the crowd, and they're covering everybody in this smell. And then behind us, there are weary, wounded soldiers, and they're dragging along, you know, bandaged up. And But they're all coming before the king. And the great king is standing in a high place, and his throne is there, and he is looking down upon this procession. And so the weary, faithful, wounded people are coming back to the king, and they are coming to be rewarded, and they are being honored by the people. You know, everybody's cheering for them, and, and they're honoring them. Like those scars that they have, you know, nobody's going to feel bad about those scars because they're your battle. You know, that's your honor mark, and everybody's so proud of you for that and for your willingness to sacrifice for your people and for the king and for justice. And then at the end of the line, there are the convicted terrorists, and they are there headed to the king. And when they stand before the king, they will be judged, and they will be executed. And that's how these scenarios played out in Paul's day. So Paul takes this down, and he says, okay, think about that moment. Both groups of people have their senses filled with the same spicy, sweet fragrance. You know, to the guilty, it is the horrifying mm, scent of their own death and of the judgment that is approaching them minute by minute. Every step they take into the cloud of fragrance, 
they are stepping closer to their appointment with the king, and they are going to answer for what they have done, and he will he will punish them. And on the other hand, there are people in this same crowd, and they are faithful people, and they are dragging their um, painful, wounded legs, and they are also in the same cloud. But when they smell it, it doesn't smell like death to them. You know, it smells like affirmation and approval and honor and reward and encouragement. And Paul says, we are the incense swingers. We want, we wade into the world and some of these people are at war with God, and we are offensive to them. We are a stinking smell that comes to them. And, uh, but there are others in that crowd, and we are the smell of life to them. We are an encouragement when they encounter us and we bring the smell of Jesus. It's not our smell, but it's all over us. So in a sense, we start to smell this way too. If we're bathed in the presence of the Lord every day and if our life lines up with him, we also come to have this. You know, it sticks to us. But that every day of our life, we take a new bowl of incense and we we go out to our work and we wander between, you know, the the assembly line and we are just like swinging incense right and left. And some people, it really turns them off. And other people, they get, they're attracted to it. You know, they turn to us, they move toward us. So and that your life is that, you know, you're this, you're this freshener, this smell, and they either hate it or they love it. it well, actually, I should say, if you're doing it right. They either hate it or they love it. You know, you shouldn't blend into the room smell and they can't really tell that there's anything going on. You, you, you need to have big fire, big coals, big incense coming out of your life. And you, people notice it. Now, so Paul starts with that analogy. And in the first, you know, that first verse, that's what he says. We're in this procession and he does that whole thing. Then he goes another step deeper with the next verse. And he says, hmm, let's take this analogy a little further and let's describe the potency of a ministry life. And he says, first of all, we are the aroma of Christ. Okay, so that's the same. But he said, this aroma, this message of Jesus is not just incense, but it's actually, hmm, it's almost like it's a gas that kills you. Okay. Uh, so he's going, he's going a little deeper with this idea, and he's saying, we are a deathly smell, we're the smell of death, and it actually kills them. And that is to say, the message of Jesus moves the resistant toward their judgment, because they rise up, you know, it riles them up, they hate this message, they, you know, they flame you if you write it online, they will blast you. It just does say it provokes them. And we may suffer for that. But this message actually has power when a person's heart is set against God and they they are willfully in opposition to God. Our ministry actually 
like backs them up or pushes them forward. It, it, it provokes them. The message of the cross, rightly done, shouldn't leave anyone neutral. You know, if you're against God, this message ought to really turn you off and make you even more mad. Like it, it just, it, it rises you up. On the other hand, Paul says, we are at the same time to another group of people in the world we are the fragrance that brings the dead back to life. Where the, the smell itself brings life. It's kind of like, if I could imagine it, I imagine somebody who's unconscious and they're laying on this conveyor belt and it is just moving them. I can see the conveyor and it's conveying them toward the abyss. And, you know, lives, bodies are just like dropping off the end of that thing. And I'm running along beside of this, and I'm cracking open this ammonia, you know, capsule, and I'm putting it underneath their nose, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm screaming, wake up, wake up to them so I can get them up and get them off this conveyor. And some of the people, they do wake up. I, you know, it's like a scene from The Matrix. They're all humans are hooked into this big mind-numbing matrix, and they're just following along, staring at the TV, looking in their mobile devices, like little robots. And then you're an irritating person because they're in this imaginary life and they're dreaming and they don't even know that they're really unconscious. They're in a coma and you're running up to them. Have you seen the matrix? I sure hope so. At least the first one. And you're running up beside them, you know, and you're like, you're, you're pulling this tube out of them and you're saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. And they wake up there. It's not comfortable. You know, they're coughing, they're wheezing, they're sitting up, but they're alive for the first time in their life. They see how it really is. They're awake. You know, so it's not all like flower petals growing. That's not how everybody finds salvation. And that's kind of how Paul is. He has a whole different idea of this. He says salvation, you know, is like you're dead. You're in a horrible state and someone's coming by and they are, uh, you know, they're in your face and you're coughing, you're wheezing, you set up, and, but you're alive now and you're saved now. This message, you know, Jesus brings life, but Jesus brings judgment. He brings life to those who repent, and he brings judgment to those who harden themselves and stiffen themselves against God. And we have been chosen to go through this world and be the priests and swing that incense bowl in every home, in every classroom we come to, in every alley we walk down, Every nation, every time you sit in a coffee shop or eat a sandwich in a subway, you know, every, everywhere you go in every nation that you go, every tribe, every language, wherever your feet carry you, you are bringing this catalyst into the room. And Paul marvels at it. At the end of his description, he's like stunned at the thought and he says, wow, who is sufficient for such a thing. The ministry is a big deal. It's not like some little mediocre life. That, oh, well, you know, I guess if you can't do anything else, you could be in the ministry. It is, it is life and death. It is the eternal work of Jesus being done now by humans. And God has called you into the ministry. And I don't know where he's going to have you serve or how he wants you to serve, but I know what he wants you to do. And that is take your bowl of incense, get before God in prayer, 
get that prayer nice and hot and throw that incense on there and then open the door and go walk out in the world. That's why church, the church is at its best when we don't stay in the church all that much because it doesn't do any good for all of us to cluster together. And, you know, three times a week we all come running into this building and we do our Christian thing. That's not how the early church saw it. You did it outside and it took 300 years to even get a Christian building. If you can imagine, three centuries with no need of a building. They did just fine. Now, this leads Paul to another thought. In verse 17, he says, A good minister is not a peddler. And the word he uses for peddler is the word for um, a merchant who had the habit of putting water in good, strong wine. You had a wine that had a full body. It was bursting with flavor. And so the merchant says, you know, I could add some water to this, and nobody would probably notice. And so he waters it down so he can make double the money. And Paul says, that's not ministry. Ministry wouldn't do that. A true minister, and Paul says, we are, you know, me and my team. He's teaching the Corinthians about what real ministry is. He says, we're not peddlers. We don't water down the message. In other words, we don't avoid all the offense. I mean, honestly, didn't you feel a little bit offended when I talked about the execution of the bad guys in the first story? And I even had to make them like really bad to try to help that it wouldn't be so offensive. We feel it. We've been conditioned by a culture. We can't say anything about sexual sin, any form of perversion that's sexual. Not supposed to talk about that. We can't talk about, uh, uh, leadership in a, you know leadership in the home, and we can't say anything that is like even remotely positive about how God would use a man in the world. I mean, there's lots in Scripture about how God uses women, and we need to honor all that. But there's so many hot topics now that you can't even say this part, can't say that part. Uh, there's pastors that just decided, you know, like Rob Bell, let's just take hell out. I, it's just offensive. I don't like the thought of hell, so I'm going to remove that too. And we just seek only the rewards of ministry. So I'm going to take out every offending part of the gospel, even the whole thing about judgment, and you're all going to stand before God, and I'm just going to leave, you know, just the nice, creamy, sweet stuff. God is for you. He's going to give you a great life. And just it's just a humanistic message that really doesn't change anybody's life. It just creates this artificial expectation that God is running around making sure that my bucket list gets done uh, because he loves me so, so, so much, loves me more than his own son. And that's just a total, it's a perversion of the gospel message. And Paul says, when you take up the ministry, you assume the responsibility for the life and death power that it brings. You know, ministry has rewards and people love you when you do the ministry. If you faithfully do the ministry, Honestly, there are rewards. There's even a way that people will support you in your life because what you're doing is so valuable that they would love to liberate you from the need to have to show up in an office somewhere every day. And they want you to be free to go minister. And that is a very, um, it's a very important part of the ministry. And it is a high level of trust from God's people that they would do such a thing. Because, you know, I don't minister for money. I would minister for free. I minister every day. And if I have to do a second or third job, 
I'll do that. I'll feed my family and God will help me find a, a job, but it's going to burn up all my energy and I'm not going to have much left. Uh, and so it's for the good of the body and it's for my good too, that I'm liberated and I'm allowed to put all my focus on the ministry and just give myself to it. And I'm willing to do that. And I'm willing to do it if it means we live in a little house or if we get, you know, other things in life. I don't know about that part. I just know I want to do the ministry every day of my life with as much of my energy and time as I can. But even in Paul's day, he could see how easy it would be to abuse that level of trust and how that some people, in order to get the rewards of ministry, would remove every unpopular thing in the scriptures and only talk about the nice, warm, fuzzy parts so that they themselves would continue to be rewarded. And that's what Paul is offended at. He said, when you take up this ministry, you assume responsibility for the power of life and death that ministry brings. On the one hand, I must not withhold this life and death power. I must not withhold this incense from the world. The incense has the power. The incense is Jesus. He has the power. The gospel message has the power of life in it. But I must not edit this message. Billy Graham said it this way. I was there and heard him say it, and it burned itself in my heart. He said, it is not my job to make it easy for you to follow Jesus. It is not my job to lower the demands. It is not my job to make it simple and make it just so, you know, so easy that anybody could do it. He said, it is my job to faithfully transmit God's offer to you. That's the end of my job. I'm not supposed to try to help you make your decision. You know, try, try God for it. Try Jesus for 30 days. And, uh, and, and you can drop him if you don't like it. You know, I don't have the authority to say things like that. I just give you the offer God gave. And um, understand, people have a right to know that their judgment day is already scheduled. That all of us are going to stand before God and give an account for our life. And that all of us will be found guilty. And honestly so. It won't be like the twisting of evidence. There is abundant evidence to find all of us guilty. But praise the Lord, Christ's blood has covered that debt. And you and I have been authorized by God to remove handcuffs from people in that line and to lead people out of the judgment line. And we have the incense, to go back to our analogy, we have the incense that wakes up the comatose and wakes up those who are placed in a drunken stupor by the wine of this world system. We can wake them up. And man, the ministry has power. But it only has power if we don't edit the message and dull the sharp edge of gospel truth to accommodate all the perversions of this age. Edit it, and you turn everything into oatmeal. Leave the message full strength. Deliver it with tears. Love the recipients. Love them enough to deliver both law and grace, and you will see lives transformed. But you may very well suffer for your role as a messenger, and you need to just take it. Accept cultural rejection. Assume that sometimes you have to lose to be faithful to Christ. If you just do that, get it in your mind. I can't be popular and also do this. I might be really popular, but I'll be popular among those for whom this thing smells like life, you know. 
those people, I will have not only popularity, Jesus said, they're your new family. I will have family with them. But allow your life to spread the fragrance of Jesus everywhere your feet take you. Authentic gospel ministry is the hope of the world. And it seems to me to be God's only plan for saving the people of the earth and restoring the Garden of Eden. Well, that's all for this episode of Thread. I've got some great courses that we've established for you at Media Light. So check out medialightonline.com and sign up for courses that will help you discover the will of God for your life and help you get yourself into the kind of ministry role that suits you. All right, you are the light of the world. So expect God to use you this week. Shine on.